You're listening to Grace Seal Beach Sermons. If you'd like to know more about our church, go to gracesealbeach.org. Okay. Hey, uh, good morning, everyone. I just got a... Good morning. Hey! You go here? Awesome. Good morning. I I just got to say, student ministry rocks, um, but also... um, one of the cool things about the scripture reading in all three services, the names didn't stumble anyone. They all pronounced them like, like pretty good. And so uh, praise the Lord. Awesome. Well, uh, good morning, friends. As we begin our time together, uh, I just wanted to, to ask you a really important question to enter into this time. And so if you'd hear me out, here's the question. How do you approach bringing groceries into your home? Okay, you're, you're following with me. You're, you're on the right track. How do you approach bringing groceries into your home? Now, in my home, uh, my sweet Annie uh, is the one who does the grocery shopping because if I did it, it would just be chips for days. Uh, and usually when she pulls into the drive-thru, right, a little illustration, she shoots me a text and asking, she asks for help with groceries. And so naturally in response, I go out to the garage and I bring all the groceries in, but this leads me to my question that I'm generously, genuinely curious about. How do you approach unloading groceries in your, uh, from your car? Are you the kind of person that, that if you had friends in the house, you go like, hey, hey, uh, I got some groceries. Would you guys be willing to kind of help me get the groceries from the garage? Or if you have kids, would you rally them to help you out? Or are you the kind of person that maybe you, 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 you hear the garage open and you're like, this would be a good time to take a nap. <laughs> or the car is in, in the driveway. Or, or do you look at all the load of groceries? And are you the kind of person to strategize a plan to take as many bags as possible in a single trip? And there's, there's many in every single service, yeah. Now, now, not that this has ever happened to me, but as you approach these groceries, have you ever looked to yourself and you go like, okay, I see, okay, so there's a big water bottle, so I got to keep it on this hand, and there's some bottles over here. This looks like equally heavy, so I'm going to take this here, and then you're going to start scoping out the other bags and go like, I just got to make sure the weight is perfectly balanced, otherwise I'm going to hurt myself. And so you, you grab as many bags as possible. This one looks empty, but I'm going to take it. And, and, and you, you bring the groceries, and I was so impressed this morning. I was like, I did it. <laughs> but have you ever been in a situation where you've grabbed so many groceries and you, you, you kind of caught yourself out, off guard and you've either like dropped a bag or, or one of the bag rips? But I love what someone at 8 o'clock in the morning just shared to me. He said, or, or have you ever been in a situation where you grabbed all the bags and then you forgot to open the door or leave it propped open? <laughs> Right, And it's usually in these moments where I'll look over to Annie and she'll just shake her head and at me and wonder, why don't I just spread the load? Why, why don't I just uh, spread the load more effectively? Take multiple trips. <laughs> and to be honest, because this is what we do, we're honest with one another, there's a sense of pride in me in trying to do everything on my own, in my head, It falsely empowers me and makes me feel more like the Superman that I am when I dream at night. (laughs) But when we think about it in these terms, right, 
that we would do this to ourselves, to put ourselves in this situation? Isn't it silly to think that we need to take on such a tremendous load in order to prove a point? And then vice versa, just think about it from Annie's perspective. Her vocalization for me to help her with taking the groceries out of the car isn't the same thing as saying, Jason, I want you to do everything right now and fast. That's not how she texted me. But this morning, we look at a text wherein the early church comes to a boiling point with a group of people who needed help. You see, on one end, we see an outcry from the Hellenists as they, they, they tell the apostles, hey, we have a need that is going unmet. And then on the other side, we see the apostles who are serving in this church. It's an ever-growing church. And, and not only have they been serving the needs, but here is yet another task that is being brought before them for them to take care of. This morning, we're going to be looking primarily at how the apostles handled the needs of a people whom the church community so easily overlooked. You see, up until this point in our series so far in the book of Acts, we've been reading about how the church continued to grow as a result of their obedience to God and how that obedience to God led to unity in the faith. Last week, Pastor Bob talked about how there existed this selfless and sacrificial mindset that took place in the congregation as the church shared their possessions with one another. And we learned this idea that the type of sharing that existed within this community wasn't this giving away of possessions wherein my possessions become yours and then good luck, but my possessions become ours because in this early church community, we see a willingness to offer up what was owned in order to uplift and support and, our ta and attach ourselves to the well-being of others. Here are my things. Let me know if you need anything else. And so we picture, as we picture this early church here in the book of Acts, isn't it easy to kind of envision this utopian gathering of people, right? As we read Acts, like, there's no way. Like, we've come a long way from that. Like, this is as close as we get to heaven. People are full of the Holy Spirit in Acts. They're, they're giving so radically that Luke records several times in Acts that there wasn't a needy person amongst the community, well, in our passage this morning, we see that even as the church was growing numerically in size, even as the Lord added to the church's number day after day, Acts chapter 6 brings us to a scene where we see some instances of growing pains in the life of the church. Acts chapter 6 begins by saying that in those days, these, that when the number of disciples was increasing, there was a complaint of the Hellenists against the Hebrews that their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And, and what's interesting is that we get details of who this group was from this text. Luke records several key descriptors concerning this group that felt neglected. What do we know about them? One, they were Hellenists. They were widows. And however it may have been, they felt neglected in the daily distribution of food. And so for starters, this group in question, well, they were the Hellenists. Or as some other translations would point out, they were Greek-speaking Jews. These Hellenists were likely to be a group whose primary language wasn't Aramaic, which was the language of the Hebrews here in Jerusalem. But these Hellenists were most likely Greek-speaking Jews who had returned back to Jerusalem from the diaspora or this big event in Jewish history when the Jews were just scattered all across the land of Palestine into other parts of the world. And so relationally speaking, these Hellenistic Jews would have had an awkward relationship with the Hebraic Jews here in Jerusalem. 
One commentator mentioned that the Hebraic Jews may have went through extensive efforts not to be tainted by anything pertaining to Hellenistic culture. They, they, they would have focused more on isolating themselves or going to great lengths to avoid contact with the Hellenists in their community. And so this is, these are the Hellenists, but on top of being Hellenists, Luke points out that they were widows, right? Possibly female widows. Now, quick aside, earlier on this week, I was just recapping some of these details to my sweet Annie, and I made this distinction, right? I was like, hey, uh, these widows, they were more, most likely female. And I was just like, and I was just kind of recapping because, you know, I studied this passage. Again, pride, there we go. Lord, you're telling me something. But Annie was like, yeah, I get that. Isn't that why it says widow and not widower? And, and I'll be honest, I didn't, had no idea of that distinction, so thank you. But getting back to our passage, what do we know about this group? Hellenist, widows, hungry, Sounds like a great new series for TLC. But this group, they band together and they present their needs to the church. But let's not, like, let's not beat around the bush here. That, that's putting it lightly. They complained. They complained to the apostles. In other words, these Hellenists, they were angry. They were upset. And they really let the leaders in the church know that they're falling short in regards to taking care of their needs, which is important to bring up, Right? I mean, in the passage that we just studied last week, people's needs were being met in the church. And then you have this group of outsiders, these believers who are from a different area, a different tongue, a different culture, and their needs weren't being met. Why is this so important for us to recap in our time together this morning? Well, well think about this. Have you ever been in a situation where no one could understand what you were saying? Or have you ever found yourself in a place where you stuck out like a sore thumb? And to make matters more interesting, people avoided you for, for being so different? Well, you take that frustration, if you've ever felt that, and then you add to the fact that you've lost your spouse, you've traveled to a place that doesn't feel like home, and you're hungry, you're in this church and to a church for who all intents and purposes seems to be progressing and moving forward. They're growing in number. There's signs and wonders that are happening here. There's radical and selfless giving taking place. And in the midst of all of this, a lodging of a complaint, anger and frustration kind of lets all of the air out of the room, doesn't it? And so in the following uh, verses, in verses two to three, we see a swift reply from the apostles and I find their response really interesting. The apostles respond firstly by saying, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And so what they presume to do is they appoint several men from the church whose qualifications are listed. You have to be of good reputation. We're looking for people of good reputation. People relationally with God, you must be full of the spirit and wise. This is a very big deal because at the very least, these qualifications tell us that regardless of how we may first interpret the apostles' response, they didn't consider this task menial. They didn't consider the helping out of widows in this church as something that was beneath them because of the kind of people they were looking to fill this need. They wanted to call upon leaders who had a good reputation, who communed with the spirit of God, 
who demonstrated wisdom to handle the needs of these people. One commentator summed it up really well when he said, while gospel preaching may have been the priority for the apostles, this in no way lessened the importance of good leadership in the care of these widows. And so why, why then, why did the, why did the apostles feel the need to appoint other leaders as opposed to doing the work themselves? Why did they ask for others to help instead of themselves? Well, verses two and four tell us why. The apostles perceived that the work that they had on their plate, the preaching of the word of God and prayer was of utmost importance. In this instance, we see a couple things at work in the apostles' minds. For starters, we see that the, the apostles had rightly understood that, that the preaching of the word and prayer was how God was shaping and growing the church. And so they wanted to stay faithful to that. I mean, after all, in Acts 2.42, it says that awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles because of their teaching and because of the prayers. But then secondly, one of the things that we notice that the apostles do or what goes through their mind is that they considered how taking on this added task of caring for the widows would have pulled them away from that faithful call of God to preach and to pray. Now, maybe this is just me, but I find this response from the apostles in this passage tremendously fascinating because in one sense, we are conditioned culturally that there's some sort of merit or honor in keeping busy lives, right? Like it's almost meritorious to just say like you're busy, right? And I think about from time to time how people may come up to me and go like, hey, Jason, how's it going? You cool guy. Um, Keeping busy? You keeping busy? Like, or, or they'll go like, hey, Jason, like, how's fathering five, four kids? I'm five. Four kids. I bet you're pretty busy. And I'm like, man, I don't want to be busy. Like, the goal of my life isn't to be busy. I don't want to be so busy that my kids don't see me. Or I don't want to be so busy that I don't get to just unwind at the end of the day with, with, with Annie or whoever else. And in a culture that may pride itself in keeping occupied and maximizing all of the minutes of our schedules, the apostles offer up some sound wisdom that in the scope or reality of church ministry, as a church family, as needs arise in our communities that, that one, we cannot control and that we cannot time perfectly, instead of flooding our schedules and raising our hands in victory at being at the core of fixing every single problem, the apostles reach an amicable resolution in caring for the needy of the church by challenging others in the congregation to share their lives even further with one another. And when we think about it in that term, like that's no different than the book of Acts has already been teaching us. All that we have resources wise, whether it's physical or it's ourselves, we give to one another for the sake of growth in this church. The apostles realize that in taking on more that in being more busy than they already were, they would ultimately be forfeiting something that God had specifically called them to do faithfully, to preach and to pray. Chris Bradley, this is a quote that's in your bulletin, but he was a Christian author. He once wrote this. He said, busyness can be a disguise for self-sufficiency and pride. Prioritizing prayer requires humility. It requires recognizing that we are not in control and we need to lay it all down and trust in Jesus. Oh, church, um, that we would all come to a place, whether that's in the leading of our families or our ministries here at Grace, or that we would come to a place where we would say, God, give me less 
that I may not forget to commune with you in prayer. God, would you give me less that I may still honor and pray and talk to you in this relationship that we have? And so friends, in tying this into our series in, on, on unity, this passage in Acts presents a couple of deep considerations for how we ought to live together as a church family. For starters, we have to understand that the church is a family who are called to care for one another. Yes, us, we're family. <laughs> Sorry. The, the apostles realized that the work of serving thousands of believers in this ever-growing church wasn't the responsibility of a small group of individuals. But like we read last week and even today, it behooved the whole church to think selflessly, to consider that the gathering of the saints within the congregation wasn't primarily concerned with the uplifting of ourselves, but so that those who carried a need in this church context could experience a reflection of the love, the grace, and compassion of Christ through his bride, which is us, the church. You and I are conduits, or we are reflections of, of the com commission of God to love one another as we've experienced personally in our understanding of the gospel. Because in our understanding of the gospel, we see Jesus a man who many incorrectly assumed would come with this militant sense of authority only to be surprised at the posture of Christ as a suffering servant. And we read about this revelation of the nature of Christ in Matthew 20, 28, where it says that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And that's what we see taking place here in Acts chapter six. We see that the church's concern wasn't for prestige or be the, to be the greatest in the area or to have the coolest preaching or prayer ministry in the land. And maybe this is where we've lost a sense of our identity as a church, generally speaking. Because it's become so easy to be connected with churches all over the country that we start to think things like, oh yeah, I know that church, they have better preaching over there. So if I ever need more preach, better preaching, I'll go over there. Or, or they serve better coffee than we do there. Or that church's worship band is so much better because they're on Spotify. Maybe we lost our identity as a church to think that as much as these are blessings to consider that we have, my thoughts would go towards how are we using these better things to serve our community? How are we using these things to serve those who have needs within our church? When it comes to ministering to others, friends, we, we don't go at the pace of the world around us. We don't go at the pace of trying to reach X amount of followers by the end of 2022. If anything, the goal of the church isn't about being the best. It's about being faithful. Faithful to what exactly? Loving God, loving others. Loving God and loving others. When Jesus was asked by a lawyer in Matthew 22, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then Jesus adds, a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so going back to our passage, Acts chapter six challenges us to consider whether or not there are those within our congregation who are marginalized, we're unseen, we're in dire straits. And that's why we invested so much time looking into these Hellenists here in verse one. They didn't know the language. Though they were Jewish, they, they were different culturally than the Hebrews. And not only that, for this group of people, they had lost everything. 
their possessions, a place they called home, their spouses, and they were hungry. And yeah, I think it would be overly simplistic to say, yeah, Jason, sure, we'll just better care for the hungry widows in the church. Praise God. Yes, we need that. But when we look further into our study in Acts this morning, we see that though the interaction here was specifically involving hungry out-of-town widows within the church, what this passage really challenges us to do is to consider our mindset when it comes to preferring others to ourselves, even as those others represent a culture and upbringing that is so different than our own. How does this, how does this passage do that? Think about the widows, the Hellenists, who approached the church leadership real quick. It wasn't like they came with a respectful, well-articulated approach in communicating their need, right? They didn't have this need, and as they saw the church growing, they said, hey, um, here is my formal like, presentation. Like, we have this need. Are you guys available to take care of this? That's not what the scripture says at all. It says they complained. They complained. Isn't it easy to get turned off to people when they complain? Imagine being in a position of finding ways to help others and then they approach you with a complaintive spirit. Or what if someone who was asking for your help displaced their anger and their frustration upon you? Then what? The disciples didn't take this opportunity as the Hellenists complained to be petty. Our scripture doesn't record that they offered help, but they took the long way in addressing their needs. But on the contrary, Acts 6 verses 5 through 6 record how the apostles emulated loving God by staying obedient to the faithful preaching of the word and to prayer, then they emulated loving people by coming up with a resolution to appoint and commission seven men in the church to serve the needs of these widows. One of the great lessons that we gather from this particular point in our passage is that serving one another in the church isn't promised to be a walk in the park. The call to be the church is many times a call to serve and be in a place of humility, and within a congregation where there are people who have needs that are so very different than your own. Every once in a while, I'll be sitting down with my mom and I'll just be expressing the challenges of parenthood. And, and I'll just rem I just remember one day I was lamenting at how hard it was to get the kids out of the bed in the morning and how I felt especially... <laughs> there was like one loud... And how I felt, especially on Sundays for some reason, how I felt like getting my kids out of bed is like trying to drag a boulder across the desert. Personal experience. And mom, my mom, like most parents do, will remind me of how not too long ago I would have had the same problem. How not too long ago I had a hard time getting out of bed. Church, I've always found that one of the keys for me to learn how to better serve one another is to turn the licking glass towards myself and ask my question, hey, in what ways have I approached God when I've had an unmet need in my life? When I've had an unmet need in my life, do I complain? Am I difficult with God? Do I throw fits? And if I do, how has God res historically responded to me? The beautiful verse, Romans 5, 8, sets, up, uh, sets us up for a perspective alignment as it says, God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Notice how it doesn't say when we earn the approval of God or when we approach God with a pleasant attitude that God decided, okay, here's my son for you. But on the contrary, I love how my beloved friend, uh, Pastor Jeff would say that the message of the gospel isn't that we were undeserving of God's grace, but that we were ill-deserving. 
And church, when we take a moment to dwell on the message of the gospel, we realize that we've received something so remarkably valuable, even though we've been so horrible to God with our own sinfulness in our own lives. One of the keys that served this early church in Acts very well was that they rightly understood the grace that was given to them by Jesus, and in turn, it inspired them to share such a life-transforming love to others in this manner. Friends, I hope that in our interaction with one another here at Grace, that we would remind ourselves of the humility that is required in caring for people who are in need, whether they are pleasant or painful, whether they are similar to us or different, whether they are tradition in the way that we are or not, we're called to love. Why? Because Christ first loved us. He gave us an example of putting other people's needs above our own when he willfully laid down his life on the cross so that whoever would believe in him, whether they have crummy attitudes or behavior issues or just worn down by life, whoever believes in him and trusts in him can have their ultimate need met. Salvation from the penalty and power of sin in their lives. Church, I pray that our understanding of God's goodness to us when we least deserved it would fuel us into loving one another more. Because even in our moment of greatest needs, while we were so sinners, Christ died for us. And so as we wrap up our time together this morning, there are a couple questions that I'd love for you to be challenged with as you can consider in your sermon notes. The first one is this. How does the message of the gospel inform, guide, and direct our affections towards the marginalized and hurting in our church? But then secondly, what if those people who are in need have crummy attitudes? What, what then? Let's pray as we wrap up together this morning. Lord, we're so grateful for your kindness and your grace and your mercy that you've extended to us through Christ. Thank you for blessing our community. I pray that you would help us to be aware of those within our congregation who are hurting and in our need. Help us to look beyond our own prejudice and to look at others as those who are made in your image, who need you just as much as we do. We ask that your Holy Spirit would help us to pursue our brothers and sisters here at Grace as a gracious community. And we also ask that your Holy Spirit would draw us deeper into understanding how dearly beloved we are as your children. Lord, we love you. Help us to love others like you do. In Jesus' name we pray.